Good evening, cruisers. Welcome back to your favorite technology show, Cruising on the Cutting Edge, with me, Wellington Froelich. Here on Cruising on the Cutting Edge, I navigate and steer us down the beautiful, winding, and never-ending road of innovation that is paved by our brilliant researchers at universities across the country. Ladies and gentle cruisers, last week, we stopped off in Atlanta for some fun in the biomedical and materials engineering world, where engineers are creating tiny, tiny stars to micropore your skin for better medicine absorption. This week, we are staying in the south, but cruising on up slightly north. Uh, this week, we're going to do something completely different. I always mention how we talk about Mission Impossibles on this show, but we haven't really gotten to talk about one fully yet, one that's just completely out there. What one could argue that most of the previous shows discuss these Mission Impossibles, like the 4D multi-material liquid printing technology, because they want to make this impossible structure, and the widest reflective paint, because they're striving towards 100% reflectivity, not just the 98% that they're they're at right now, and, and, and so many others. Um, but today's show is different in that it discusses something that is yet to happen, seems impossible, at least in the near term, and again, is spearheaded by one of our universities. Folks, uh, this week I have only a few announcements. I, email, I emailed a place in Malibu that said they'd be interested in the Kazari, waiting to hear back probably drive over there again tomorrow. Maybe I'll just call them. I was cooped up in my bed this past week with the Rona, so I wasn't able, I wasn't able to make it over to the store that has agreed to do a Kazari. Uh, yet, I'm uh, actually going to try and go today after this show, actually. Talk to them. I was also considering trying out Clubhouse. Basically, anyone, Clubhouse is a platform that anyone can join and anyone can jump into sort of a live conversation at any time and contribute to it. It's like having the radio in an app, which also shows you everyone else who's uh, in the chat. And that's really all the announcements I have for this week, folks. Don't forget to share the podcast with friends and family. Word of mouth is truly the best way for the show to get out there. Please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate that. Feedback is fuel for me and the show. So please, if you have anything you'd like to share, feel free to email me at cruisinwithwellington at gmail.com. Okay, cruisers, let's jump on into the leather bucket seats of our 1970 Pontiac black and orange striped Formula 400 and drive up on to a little college town, I imagine, uh, of Bull City, or more conventionally known as Durham, North Carolina, home to the slippery halls of Duke University, where physicists, physicists and particle co- slippery see, physicist and particle collision researcher James Beecham has hypothesized the construction of a large lunar particle accelerator that wraps around the moon. The paper I'm reviewing this week is titled "A Very High Energy Hadron Collider on the Moon." which was published last summer and revised a week ago. Must have had a spelling mistake or something. (laughs) This week, folks, we're going to take a trip down a very different set of roads. First, we'll be turning 
off onto Advantage Avenue, where we will discuss the pros of this crazy, nearly impossible feat of construction. Then we will head down the Feasibility Freeway to assess what it would take to complete such a mission. Finally, we will turn back on to the unwrap to the future to explore the potential findings we might expect from this Jupiterian, Jupiterian, that's a word I just came up with, that means massive, this, Jupiter, uh, this Jupiterian effort. First off, particle accelerator. What, what is it? What do they do? So they are the world's fastest racetrack for the world's smallest vehicles. Yes, everything has to relate to cars on this show. However, these racetracks, of which there are apparently 30,000 of, uh, 30, of them around the world, are designed to make the racers crash into one another. Many of these racetracks are actually used for manufacturing processes in semiconductors and for radiation therapy for oncological purposes and, and, and more. There are a few large ones. There are only a few large ones, like the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland, operated by CERN, which is dedicated to discovering the next smallest particle or the next strange behavior the world around us exhibits. The idea is simple. Smash things together to break them up, to see what happens, and if anything else comes out of that collision. So why would they want to build one on the moon? Is someone just getting a little jumpy or space happy? It turns out there are several reasons, not the least of which is the real estate available on the moon. On the moon. A collider around the moon could be up to 11,000 kilometers compared to our current best of 27. Building an extremely large collider around the entirety of the moon would increase the energy required to collide particles by a factor of a thousand. Another huge advantage is the vacuum of space. To accelerate particles, often broken down from uh, hydrogen atoms, uh, to accelerate them requires as minimal drag as possible, which means sucking out all of the air. Now, according to the paper, uh, published by Beach Menace partner in crime, Frank Zimmerman, creating a 10,000, 11,000 kilometer vacuum on the Earth for proton collisions is possible, but very costly. Whereas it is obvious, whereas obviously it's free on the moon, which is practically void of any atmosphere. The next biggest advantage, so we've, we've got the, the power that it creates, the vacuum, the next biggest uh, that the moon has, the next biggest advantage to building a particle uh, collider on the moon, around the moon, is the lack of heat. Yes, the sun does shine on the moon, um, and this is radiation, which causes things to heat up. But the researchers then suggest boring a tunnel into the moon uh, and suspending the system below the surface to avoid these temperature swings. The last major advantage, so we have the power that we could uh, output the vacuum that the moon has and the natural vacuum and the uh, temperature uh, of the consistent temperature that the subsurface of the moon would offer. The last major advantage, which is sort of less certain, is the availability of rare earth materials present on the moon. I suppose you'd have to call them rare moon minerals. Uh, anyway, gathering these minerals and materials on the moon is going to be far cheaper than hauling them from the earth which brings 
me to the corner of Advantage Avenue and Feasibility Freeway. How can this giant racetrack that has helped us further medical remedies, manufacturing techniques, and discover truths about our universe's building blocks, how can this mammoth of a project be done? The steps are possible and practical, according to Beecham. First, send folks or robots to the moon to survey for materials. Uh, we're talking iron deposits for their, specifically for their superconductor magnets that propel the particles along the racetrack. The second step, survey and plan out the boring site for the tunnel ring. There are certain rings around the moon uh, that go through less changes in elevation, which would be easier to uh, work around and construct. Third step, mine and manufacture magnets on the moon. Easy, okay, easy, yeah. Fourth step, send over boring machines, which would likely cost more than what you have in your coin jar and bore out the tunnel systems and install the magnets. I'd like to point out here that this might be best done before you begin mining or, uh, or at least concurrently because you'd likely run into some deposits while you're boring out your tunnel that you could use. The researchers, by the way, recommend digging the tunnel 100 meters or roughly 350 feet below the surface where it will be cold enough. The fifth step is to power this puppy using a small part of a Dyson sphere, which uh, is a very interesting concept that we can get into another time, but essentially wraps around the sun and absorbs its energy that way using solar panels. So a small part of that sphere uh, to capture part of the sun's energy near the moon uh, or build a giant ring of solar panels around the moon, which actually was proposed by the Shimizu Corporation and JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, back in the early 2000s. The power required for this particle accelerator is actually about equal to the power consumption of the entire Earth uh, that uh, e each day, which is about 10 terawatts. Just think a lot. The sixth and final step and most important step is to add some communications methods so people can work and access the ring from Earth. Of course, uh, I guess these, these guys really don't want to go to the moon to see their humongous particle accelerator. Kind of getting mixed feelings from these guys about this project. But anyway, these were the, the, uh, the, this was the feasibility assessment and the steps provided by the researchers. And I, I suppose it's, 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 it's feasible. However, uh, the, at least in thought, there's just so much, at least coming from a space systems background that would, could throw a wrench into this plan. So, um, and it would obviously take just tons of time to, to plan out in depth. But that is not to deter the project, not at all. So folks, let's turn back onto the on-ramp to the future. How can such a large, impossible particle accelerator benefit us today? The biggest reason for doing this is to get one tiny step closer to the ultimate goal of producing an accelerator that can reach 
so-called Planck energy, which is 10 to the 16th tera electron volts, which is roughly the same as a small black hole. One thing that uh, scientists are certain about is the ability to, though, when if we construct this, construct this. One thing we would be certain to be able to do is conduct controlled experiments with the latest particle that they discovered, the so-called Higgs boson particle. They would also be able to conduct some reaffirming experiments of their general standard uh, theories. So for the rest of us, though, what this means are some great TV shows, a conversation topic at the dinner table, and maybe even some cool jobs in the future. I hope to actually speak to Beecham and have uh, him uh, deliver his thoughts on maybe more practical applications uh, as well. Uh, so I'm, I've reached out to him and I'd love to uh, talk to him. Hopefully that will happen. If it does, it'll be a Zoom interview and I'll post it, I suppose, on a YouTube channel. Um, anyway, perhaps we could discover a novel way of producing energy that we haven't done yet. Who knows? I don't know. What other superstructures do you think should be built on the moon? I previously liked the idea of a lunar hotel that is suspended over a crater on glass struts. I would also ha uh, love to go, this is sort of besides the point, but I would love to go crater surfing or, or lunar uh, ATVing. Uh, you, you catch some massive air. That's what I always like to say. <laughs> uh, but the biggest structure that I have thought of so far is a giant mirror around the Earth that beams, not entirely around, around half of it or so, that beams sunlight down to the dark side of the Earth so we have constant sunlight. Of course, there would be all sorts of disadvantages to that, but think about the size of your watermelon. They would be huge. Corsers, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you had fun. I did, certainly, thinking and reading about this. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends. Talk about this stuff with them. It's, it's crazy. And I'll see you guys back in the leather bucket seats next week. My song recommendation for this week is Frédéric Chopin's Nocturne No. 2 in E-flat major. <laughs>